What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another Project Whetstone podcast brought to you by Blaze Ministries 707, where our goal is to help shape and sharpen your faith by sharing our experience that started in the 707, but is now growing beyond those borders. I'm Bro Rye, and always, and always, join with me, Brother Jeremy Mallet and Brother Carlo Terrell. What's going on, fellas? Hello, hello. Hello. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Can you believe it? We are on episode number 18. Real quick, Jeremy, Carlo, how do y'all feel like the fact that we have recorded successfully 17 podcasts for over 17 weeks of readings? It's a blur. (laughs) It's a blur. I mean, but you know what? Just from, you know, years past, you know, whenever you're doing work, you know, for for the Lord, sometimes it's a blur. You know, sometimes you, you grind and it seems like forever and you look back on it. It's like, wow, that was quick. You know, that went really quick. So that's that's kind of what it feels like. But you, Brother Jay? Yes. For me, it feels like we're still just getting started. <laughs> Maybe I just feel that way because I, I'm uh, working on a lot of like, you know, trying to get better here and there and and coming up with the notes and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it just, it still feels like we're just getting started, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, both of you actually, because, you know, with brother Carlo, you know, the saying comes to mind, time flies when you evangelize, right? And this is our form of one form of evangelization for us. And you're right. Like I can't, you, if you ask me right now, like, what was episode 13 about and what were the highlights or, or episode 12? Or, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't tell you, to be honest, because <laughs> things, not that, you know, we don't care or have that kind of memory, but like you say, Brother CeeLo, we actually are doing all this in real time. So as we're preparing for these episodes, we're doing this all in real time with what's relevant and 17 weeks with, I think there were two breaks in between. So 19 weeks total. Brother Jay, I agree 100%. Like we're just getting started though. Y'all, this is just the audio version. Just imagine when we get guests on the show, when we are able to break down different topics on the show. And then on top of that, we start the video podcast and then the live stream, right? So yeah, this is just like you said, getting getting our feet wet, just warming up to the mic, getting used to putting out the content. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you both. Definitely a blur and just still feeling like we're just getting started. And I think that's the beautiful part about it. I think when you, you know, I know for myself, when you do something for the first time or you get, you know, excited about something, there's always that level of excitement. And we pray for all of our, our listeners out there that you look at your faith that way. That every week you can hear something different. You hear a different perspective from either three of us, you know, either myself, brother, you know, brother Jay or brother Carlo. And that whatever inspires you, you can really just take and apply to your life right then and there. Or you can see things in a different light so that you can challenge yourself in whatever way you need to be challenged in order to grow. So we are praying that you are you, this podcast is not just content but it is content that you can apply into your life as we deliver it. So, 
All right, y'all. So yeah, episode number 18, episode number 18, and we are in the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, y'all. We're in the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, so we thank you for um, our absence last week. We had some transitions. Um, Brother Jay is now officially safe in Texas, and so uh, we wanted to make sure we couldn't do this without the trifecta, so um, he is there nice and safe. So now we are literally on the East Coast the Midwest and the West Coast, y'all. So we are like in all three different time zones for the first time, episode number 18. So as we are in the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, as always, we're going to go ahead and kick it over to Brother Jay to break down the theme of today's reading. Uh, So to to help us, I I quoted another... Um, another verse from a different gospel than what we're going to read today, but it, it pretty much carries the same message in, in, because obviously it, it's a me- message carried throughout scripture. And that um, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And, uh, and that expresses an intention of God, that God wants us to have life you know um you know we you know there's a famous saying that we we used to say um back in youth group but it's it's all over the place across different denominations god is good all the time and all the time god is good that is really at the heart of these readings that god desires for us to be happy to be uh to be perfected to be whole healed and with him to be loved and uh, by him, and that we experience the joy of love ourselves and to love him in return. That's really what we're going to see here in a lot of ways that uh, God just wants us to have life, to, and he wants us, and that should express to us that, you know, he wants what's best for us, and that's in a way just saying that he loves us. Yeah, I, th- I think that... You know, one of the things we hear this all the time, right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. We've cheered it plenty of times. And and I think that's something that is really important for us to really gnaw on today. So for all of our listeners, what does that really mean all the time? Because a lot of the times, I know many of us, myself included, I've had times where I've struggled when things weren't going my way. And I was like, how God, how good is God if this is happening to me? Or how good is God if these things are happening in our world. How good is God if people we love that are near and dear to us are losing their life to things like cancer or unexpectedness, right? Like there's always those times in our lives where we've questioned how good God is or is he really good all the time? And that's what I love about today's themes because as you had said, Jay, like even in our healing, even in times that we are are struggling god is still good and and then we we pray that for some you know you listeners all of our listeners right now that have gone through that type of struggle that the way we break down these readings are going to be a way for you to really see the goodness of god even in the hardest of times even in the hardest of times brother silo any thoughts on that you know one of the Whenever this this issue comes up of, you know, how can God be good if he allows, you know, all this stuff to happen? And it 
it's it's kind of it's an image that comes to mind that helps it make sense and it's that image at the end of um bruce almighty where you know towards the end like there's like catastrophic you know destruction everyone's winning the lottery so everyone only got a dollar each you know he wanted the moon to be bigger to show his girlfriend so now there's tidal waves and you know massive flooding and you know what i realized you know in in just watching that movie was like man there's there's a whole web of things that are so interconnected that we don't understand and the true architect of that you know being god is the only one who understands how to move things into place you know without violating the rules that he's established for existence and although it doesn't make sense to us the you know the absolute ultimate architect knows how to move things around to make things happen you know and and um you know and i i've come to realize that basically that's what scripture is man it's it's a uh, it's the oldest version of uh, the notebook you know like what was the notebook about it was the story of this this man trying to illustrate you know this history of how much they've loved each other to remind you know his his wife that can't remember it because of her illness and his whole thing was just to basically show her and help her understand how much they loved each other and so scripture is in a sense trying to show us like even in the worst times in the you know the, the experiences of people um that he's still being good you know he's still working on getting us to the final destination which is you know th- that divine place in heaven right next to him um and so all the time yeah cuz he's constantly trying to move you despite having to move you left you know right two steps back five steps forward you know the end goal is still good and um and at least that's how i you know kind of uh interpret it to to help me understand how how you know one of my favorite sayings by scott hahn god can write straight with crooked lines beautiful beautiful all right with that being said y'all we're going to go ahead and jump into today's first reading the first reading comes from the book of wisdom chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 and chapter 2 verses 23 through 24 so the book of wisdom is an interesting piece of of literature uh it's part of the wisdom literature of the bible included in that genre is the book of proverbs the book of psalms uh, the song of solomon the book of sirach and so the, the wisdom book is actually written a little bit later in the history of, of the Bible. It's after the Jewish people had already been in contact with Greek philosophy. We'll see a little bit of the influence of Greek thought on, on Jewish theology, and that's what we kind of see here. So in this first and second chapter of uh, the Book of Wisdom, we see, in a sense, a, a kind of defense of God as not the principle at all of any kind of evil, but that God is only a principle of good. And by the word principle, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, like a a principle of a school, 
I'm talking about um, a principle as in where something else comes from, right? Uh, uh, a foundation, if you want to put it that way. It starts off by, our reading starts off by saying, God did not make death. And death is certainly an evil. And so what they're basically trying to say is that, you know, evil things don't come from God. It goes on to say that God does not rejoice in our destruction. You can kind of turn these these phrases into the positive sense. You know, God made us with life. And God is saddened by the death of his creatures, you know, by the destruction of his creatures. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, and is definitely kind of taken for granted, but God really is good. He, he, and he loves us and he doesn't rejoice in seeing any of his works being uh, destroyed or undone in any way. And that's not something that he wills in a, in a, particular sense he does allow it to happen and that's you know that that's definitely a discussion that we'll um, have more of later on as we go, go through the readings the essence of this uh, this first reading is that God has a plan or had a uh, you know and and brother Carlo used the word architecture uh, there's a, a blueprint that he had in mind and when he made the world and he made mankind he made the world to be a home a paradise for man as we read in the book of genesis uh, but it was by man's sin man rejected the order that god created implicitly by disobeying god uh, that's when death entered the world that's when suffering entered the world uh, that's when all the things that we call evils those are called the consequences of original sin that's where all the suffering comes from that's where all the death comes from uh, and, and so that was not part of God's plan in a sense. God's plan does it, uh, will account for it. And he, he makes up for it through Christ, as we'll, obviously as we, we know now in salvation history. As, as we see in this verse here, God, for God formed man to be imperishable. That was, that, was part, that, was, that was God's plan from the beginning, that God wanted man to live forever. And we rejected that in one sense, but God is offering it to us again, not by offering us our own life back, but his life, his life as God. And that's really at the heart of the Paschal mystery in our, in our faith is that Christ is the son of God become man so that man can become God. Again, this is an Old Testament reading, so we're not at that point yet, but you can kind of see how this reading from wisdom literature is sort of preparing his people to think that you know god is not done with us yet you know he had this plan for us that we're, we're not we're not supposed to be dead we're not supposed to be uh, under what's called the uh, the reign of decay you know the or, or how in in uh, ecclesiastes vanity of vanities all things are vanity before christ that was true you know there was there was no really hope for us, but God made promises. He was going to fulfill this plan for us to be imperishable uh, in a way that uh, we couldn't imagine before Christ. Yeah, I, I really, you know, love how this reading broke down because the two lines that struck out to me were the line in the beginning, right? So wisdom, chapter one, verse 13 
and then also wisdom chapter 2 verse 23 like where it's split and then the rest of the reading went on right so the first one is god did not make death and then the beginning of, or in chapter 2 verse 23 it says for he for god formed man to be imperishable right just like what you were saying brother jay and i really just was marinating on that and contemplating that because we always talk about you know speak life not death and god did not make death and i know for most people when they hear that they're like what do you mean we all die and it's like well we actually don't right that's why the whole idea of yolo you only live once you know like no we don't if you believe in salvation if you believe in you know life after death and i and i loved how kind of the readings were put together because again the beginning of this reading and then the beginning or the first line in chapter two they use here is like because he formed man to be imperishable meaning that yes our bodies may pass on but our spirit can still be alive and just to think about how we've had, I know I've had a lot of friends just pass recently, really young, you know, rest in peace, you know, saying <clears throat> Eric Pangelinen, um, Aaron DeVera, uh, two of my brothers that um, one I played ball with who not even mid 30s, no, early 30s, um, Pop, he went by Pop. And then, you know, Eric Pangelinen just hit 40. And you know, Will Vallejo, one of my best friends, always said, you know, no one ever really dies if people are willing to talk about them still. Right. So in that sense, I think about the way that this scripture speaks to us. It's, it's similar. Like no one will ever die if we know that there is life after death, that our spirits will continue to live on, that there is a heaven that there is a place afterwards. And that's why we don't really die. That's why God does not make death because he made man to be imperishable, right? And then again, just in a simpler form of people will never die as long as there's someone that's willing to talk about them. And I know Brother Carlo and I, we always talk about legacy. And the legacy isn't what happens when we're here, but the legacy what happens when we're not here, right? Just another idea of that. Like our legacy that we're building now isn't for when we're alive, but it's for after for when we pass on and it's going to go through our kids and our kids' kids. That's the legacy we want to live. And so same thing with God, same thing with Jesus, same thing with the disciples and so on and so forth till now. Like we are part of that legacy. So as long as people are willing to talk about God, God will never die. And again, I'm I'm not, that's not like official teachings. All right. But, but just thinking of the concept of how no one will ever die. If number one, we're willing to keep their memory and spirit alive in just the more, you know, human sense, but in that spiritual sense, no one will ever die. If spiritually you believe in salvation, spiritually, if you're doing everything you can and doing your part to get to heaven. And I love Brother Carlos, you know, um, analogy and he share, or I don't even know if it's an analogy, bro, but, you know, you would always say, I got two jobs for my kid, two, two simple tasks, right? Get to heaven and then get my kids to heaven, right? Is it something along that line, uh, Jay, uh, Carlo, that you tell the boys, get to heaven yeah. and help others get to heaven? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Those are your two missions while yeah. you're here on earth. There it is, right? So if you get to heaven, that means you know that you are not going to perish, you are imperishable 
and you that's how that's proof that God did not make death. So so yeah, those are just two things that really struck out to me um in those in this first reading. Brother Jay, quick question for you. So they use the word drug in can you can you expand on the word drug in uh, in this reading? I'm just curious. I I don't I don't remember ever seeing drug in the scripture before. <laughs> yeah, I looked up the word uh, that they use there, um, like a, I, and it in the Latin it looks a lot like the word uh, medicine. You know, like it, they, it's uh, related to that word. Um, so there's no destructive medicine. Like there's not a you know medicine is for healing, and there's no <laughs> you know. Um, so there's no, like, I, uh, what they're trying to go, go for in that particular phrase is that there's no, um, um, you know, contradictory substance of, you know, a destructive healing thing, <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks, bro. I, I, I couldn't cheat with this one. I don't have the Old Testament uh Ignatius Catholic study Bible yet. So I only got the New Testament half, so I couldn't I couldn't look that one up. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Um you know with with this reading that comes to mind, I mean there's there's two things um that that kind of resonate with me. I mean the first thing is probably you know kind of an understanding of you know just some of the most disgusting things in the world is, is how I'm going to frame it. Um, you know, cause mold disgusting, you know, flies disgusting. Right. Um, and it's, I don't know why lately I've been kind of just contemplating on the purpose of the most disgusting things that God has made. You know, it's kind of been one of my thought exercises that I've, you know, just, you know, like why why did why did God make flies? Why did God make mold? And when you actually look into its purpose and into into the science behind it, you realize, man, they play a really, really, really important role in keeping balance in the cycle of life here on earth. Um, let me explain. Um, you know, a year ago, I was like, man, what would be a great invention that the whole entire world can use? You know, just... The, the mad scientist entrepreneurial spirit that sometimes I have when I'm, you know, just hanging out. And I realized like, man, if there was a way to break down garbage into its base components, I'm talking like break it down into its atomic components. If I could take a, you know, a piece of plastic, break it down into all its, its carbon atoms, you know, all its phosphorus atoms, all its different atoms, and then take those atoms and put them into little bins and then, you know, sell them. And then you could reuse all those, um, you know, all those, those parts, all that gross material to make new things, you know, that'd be an amazing invention, you know, kind of, I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the most up-to-date version of um, the day to earth, <laughs> the day the earth stood still with Keanu Reeves in it. Um, it was a, a, basically a movie where an alien came down, um, you know, spoiler alert, and he was unleashing this, this machinery that had the ability to break everything down, you know, to, to its base component. Um, and so I thought about that. I was like, man, if we can really create that, that would be so amazing. 
And I was like, oh, that'd be like nanotechnology, all this engineering that's probably, you know, a few a few years, maybe even a decade into the future. Um, and then I realized that your household fly serves that purpose. And because so I was thinking, like, how do we get all the material to the processing facility? You know, how do we do we use trucks? Do people turn it in? Do we do we create a system where there's already a a device in the household that you just throw the garbage into and it breaks it down? And what I realized was that, man, you have flies. Flies fly around. They look for garbage. And they lay eggs into it. The maggots grow out of that garbage. They eat up the decaying, the rotting, you know, meat, rotting rice, whatever you, you know, whatever they have available. And then they break it down into base components that goes back into the soil. And that's the same nutrients that plants will use to grow. And it's just like this amazing cycle in the same way mold works. You know, mold will will take something that's dead and decaying, you know, dead grass, dead animals, you name it, whatever's dead, it'll break it down into its base components organically. And then those base components get inserted back into the soil. And then now you have, you know, all the raw material for, for plants to grow, plants grow, weeds grow, you know, they, they enrich the soil. I mean, just the cycle and the idea behind you know, the purpose and use for household flies, maggots, mold. I mean, even worms, when you think about how worms, you know, go into the soil and eat anything that's that's dead or dying and, you know, break it down and make the soil more nutritious so that plants can grow. It's crazy. You know, you would never have thought unless you looked into it because, you know, when a fly gets in your house, what's your first you know instinct? You just want to get rid of it. But then when you take a second to take a snapshot or a a cross-section of existence and you truly examine it, you realize like, man, whoever designed this system to be self-sufficient, to allow life to continue, put a lot of thought into what they were doing. And you realize even some of the most disgusting and annoying things on this planet were designed for a good purpose. And when you dig into that and you realize God knew what he was doing, you know, he knew what he was doing. He knew what it took to make things happen. Like he didn't say, okay, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta invent something. Cause I got, I need you to break down, you know, the stuff that's dying. Cause otherwise if we didn't have plants, we didn't have maggots, we didn't have mold, we didn't have worms, we'd have dead bodies of generations past, you know, laying on the side there, never decaying, just there. You just have a stack of, of dead everything, nothing ever breaking down. But as we know, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys have seen roadkill that never gets picked up, but eventually disappears. The world has been created in such a way to allow life to continue, to allow life to be everlasting. And so in the same way, from what I you know, just again, pulling from a cross section, a little slice of, of existence, you realize even at the smallest detail, every single part of creation was designed for good. 
you know? Um, and in the same way, and now I'm going to make that jump, you know, to help everyone, you know, see the humanity in their brother or sister, no matter, you know, how evil they might consider each other. But every single human being was designed to be good, you know? And I, I, I just, that's the thing that I feel like needs to be stressed so much because too often, you know, when people make mistakes, you know, people commit crimes, you know, even some of the most heinous crimes, you know, I hear this thing is like, oh man, that was just pure evil. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, it was, that was horrible. That was heinous, but God didn't make that person to be evil. And I can't answer the question. You know, I don't have an understanding enough to say why someone did what they did. But I want to, you know, rely on that pillar of understanding that, you know, each and every human being, just like each and every other creation that God made, was designed for good. And if we can see that in one another, that might go a long way, you know, in, in healing and, and getting the world back on track to where it needs to be. Um, Cause I think we're just at this point where it's like, they don't agree with me. They must be evil, you know? And I think that's, that's one current, current issue, current event that we need to wake up to and start realizing maybe it's time to start understanding each other and seeing the humanity in each other before we start automatically just assuming someone's evil for what they, you know, for further actions. Thank you, bro. CeeLo, any, uh, anything else you want to add on to that, bro, Jay? I don't know if we, we have the, the time to really talk about it here, but I, I just wanted to throw in, you know, something that St. Thomas Aquinas says about, um, about goodness and evil. And, um, and the, I think he's drawing on this particular piece of scripture when, when Thomas Aquinas says that, you know, um, God did not make evil because evil doesn't have its own substance. It doesn't have being, it doesn't have a positive existence. You know, it, he compares, um, he calls evil a, a, a privation of good. You know, um, so kind of like how, you know, if you have a hole in a piece of wood, um, the hole itself doesn't have a positive existence. It's just the absence of wood, <laughs> right? And, um, and so in the same way, um, uh, you know, God created everything to be good. Everything, uh, you know, like, like Brother Carlo talked about, everything uh, serves a purpose, uh, uh that is ultimately good and serves God's purposes. And the, the um, one part of creation that he cre uh, created for its own sake is the person, the human being, but also the, you know, the angels that, um, and he gave persons free will, you know, intellect and free will. Um, and that's uh, uh, because that's a prerequisite for, for love. But with that free will, uh, you know, comes the capacity uh, to choose not to do good things and to, to go against uh, God's will. And we could talk all day about that, but I just wanted to kind of throw that in there to put a little more uh, background to uh, what 
Brother Carlo was saying, is, which is exactly right, that you know, no, God didn't create anyone to be evil. You know, there is no, uh, no, no one or nothing that was created to be evil. Um, it's just a matter of helping each other to choose and recognize and choose what is good. Amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you all for breaking that down on all different kinds of levels, man. We out there talking about flies and maggots and we take, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm telling y'all, if y'all ain't getting all different kinds of perspectives on this podcast, <laughs> then you must be listening to a totally different podcast. Cause again, we want to bring you all different types of flavors. And that's what I appreciate about my brothers breaking things down the way we do, um, because there is something for everybody. That's the only way we can continue to stay sharp, y'all, to stay sharp. So with that, we're going to jump into today's responsorial psalm. Yep, today's responsorial psalm. Oh, I'm sorry. Psalm 30, 2, 4, 5, 6, and 11 through 13. Yes, so Psalm 30, 2 through 6, 11 through 13. So our response is, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. we reading this, this today as part of the church. We say it in response to the first reading. Uh, and th that suggests that, you know, in response to how death entered the world because of original sin, but also... Um, uh, but because of that, God sent his son to save us from that final death, to give us a chance at life with him in heaven. Uh, we say, for you have rescued me, that you know, Jesus is our, our rescuer. In scripture, remember the Psalms were written, I'm going <laughs> to probably uh, beating a dead horse at this point, but um, you know, the Psalms were written before Christ. And this is a, a Davidic Psalm because... Um, as you know, King David, he, he wrote uh, a fair number of the Psalms, more than half. If we look at the story of King David uh, and, uh, and before he became king, you know, his, his life was in danger so many times. And he knows that. He knows that uh, when he was a, a shepherd called upon to fight the Philistines and he, he was facing the champion of the Philistines, uh, Goliath, you know, the giant man who's you know a warrior and you know here's his shepherd with a sling and a rock he slays david i mean he slays goliath sorry not, not the other way. you know um you know david is is sort of recognizing that god is with him through all these uh, i'll say adventures you know it's kind of a romantic way to put it but i mean he was real in real danger at various times uh, this past week uh, in the Office of Readings, we follow the story of, of David and uh, King Saul. So this is before David was king. Um, he was, in a sense, Saul's um, sort of war chief or kind of general for the army. David was so gifted and charismatic that uh, the people tended to favor David more. And, and there's a, a part of scripture where uh, the people are singing the praises of Saul and David, and uh, they say that Saul uh, slayed his thousands and David slayed his tens of thousands of the enemies of Israel. And and King Saul grew jealous and envious of that. You know, like, why, why am I only given thousands while David is given tens of thousands? You know, in one of the readings, it said that an evil spirit entered King Saul and he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. <laughs> and so David had to flee 
and run away with his uh, with his life because he was just sitting playing his harp when that happened. It was definitely a Davidic psalm because David is recognizing that you know God has preserved his life so, so that he can fulfill his will and he needs to be thankful for that. And he he encourages his listeners to this psalm, the song, to join with him in that thanks, not just for preserving his life, but you know. Uh, at all times, God is always trying to protect us and guide us in right paths. You know, as we as we read in in the second verse of this responsorial, you know, for His anger lasts but a moment, a lifetime His goodwill. You know, there are moments where God might chastise us or discipline us, but as we read in in uh, I believe it's Proverbs, you know, God disciplines those whom He loves. You know that uh, even in those moments where it feels like a real suffering, you know the, it's a strengthening moment. God is teaching us, bringing us into discipleship, um, and even that God will work toward our um, ultimate good, which is to be whole, to be perfect. As, and you know, as we go through life, and we, as we see in the Psalm, even the things that we might mourn for now in this life, we'll look back on. And see that you know, uh, just like what Brother Carlos was saying about the flies, um, you know, what was a nuisance in life was was necessary and a part of God's plan to eventually be part of the the cycle of of grace. You know, it builds us up to be like Him, uh, to show us the power of our own love. You know, and to show us the power of God's love. Yeah, a lot here in the in the psalm, but um, very much relates to our theme. You know that God is good. You know, one of the things that comes to mind, especially with the, you know, the response of, "I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me." Um, you know, the the first part is to explain how I how I how I interpret it, how I see it. Is first, I have to understand the scale of, of existence, you know, the scale of, of goodness to our experience. Um, and what I mean by that is if God is this almighty, powerful being, you know, everywhere at once, you know, says the word and something exists because of his word alone, that's, that's a pretty big scale. You know, that's, that's a, you know, beyond light years, beyond 10 to the, you know, 1,000 light years of, of distance. So, I mean, this is huge. And if you scale that to the human experience, you kind of understand that it's it's not very close, but it's it's similar to the experience of a parent and an infant. And what I mean is this, you know, one of the best jokes I've heard about being a parent for a, for a toddler, you know, especially the, the new ones that can walk is being a secret service agent to a suicidal president. You know, that's what being a father feels like, especially at the park, especially in the kitchen, you know, at the table when they're feeding him, because, you know, you're, you're trying to protect this president and it seems like. Everywhere they go, they're finding a way to hurt themselves, to kill themselves, you know, just to, you know, it's that's that's what it feels like. I'm constantly 
you know, two feet behind my youngest son when we're at the park, making sure that he doesn't, you know, jump off the edge, you know, go up some stairs, roll down it and die and <laughs> run into the street. I mean, it's this constant battle of trying to make sure, you know, he doesn't accidentally kill himself, you know, and in doing so, you know, part of what I get, the gratitude I get when I save him from something that's about to kill him or hurt him is he cries. You know, he gets mad at me. You know, the other day he handed me a, you know, a top to a, you know, you know, those, those fruity smelling markers, um, you know, the, the, the cap to it, which just also happens to be the perfect size to get stuck inside of a toddler's throat and, you know, choke him to death. Um, you know, he showed me, he goes, oh, look, dad. And he was putting it in his mouth. And I was just like, I'm sorry, son. You know, and I took it from him, you know, immediately started crying, you know, immediately started crying, suffered, laid down on the ground, tears streaming out of his eyes. He's just crying. He's like, you know, in, in baby language, he's probably like, why have you done this? Why have you taken that one thing that gives me happiness right now? You know, why are you doing this to me, father? You know, how could you let me suffer like this? And every time that happens, and it happens multiple times a day, you know, as a father trying to protect his son, you know, I just think, man, this this is like a little taste of what God feels. You know, this, maybe this is what he experiences. And what I mean by that is, you know, and, and we say it often on this podcast, we always say, let God steer. And one of the things I wanted to connect to this idea of, you know, the scale of God to, to our perception as adults, the scale of being a father to an infant, is that sometimes that rescuing that God provides us might be in a way that we perceive as suffering, you know, um, even just in my own experience, there's, there's certain things that I had seen in my vision of what I wanted my life to be, you know, my plan of what I felt like was going to be success, was going to be, you know, what I brought to the table to make my family proud of me. And when those things were taken away, oh, dude, you know, like the urge to blame and to feel like you were being punished by God despite you trying to follow his will the urge to feel like you'd been abandoned, you know, cause I, I definitely heard it from friends and family. Like, man, why is this happening to you? Why is it always the faithful people that get screwed? You know, that was, that was one of the comments that that was shared with me. And in the midst of that, you know, I'm not even, a, I, okay, I'll call it suffering, but I, I will, I want to call it more just, you know, negative emotions in that moment. I really had to hold on to the concept, not to the belief, because at that point, I, it was hard for me to believe, but I had to hold on to this intellectual concept that there was a reason for this. And God was steering me in the right direction. And you know what? Three years later, three years later of, of going through that, that sludge of of just heartache, of, of sometimes depression, sometimes doubt. You know, I take a moment and I look back at that. And I'm like, man, had God not taken away that plan that I had for myself, 
all the opportunities that are available to me now would not be in existence. All the possibilities that I could achieve now because I am free from that plan that I had planned for myself. Now there's this whole new world that I feel like, man, this was this, this what's going on right now is such a better plan. And so what I wanted to convey to our listeners is when you respond, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I just got to warn you that rescuing, you know, just like when I took that, that, that marker cap for my son today that caused him to cry, that rescuing might not feel that great at that moment. It might not even feel like you deserved to be punished in that way because it will feel like you were being punished. But that rescuing is truly rescuing. He really does have you. He really does. And you just got to be patient and wait on, on how it plays out. So if you're going through some stuff right now and you're thinking, you know, I'm being punished. It's because I haven't been to mass in a while. And if you're really trying to allow God to steer, maybe he's just rescuing you right now. Maybe he's taking away that cap that could choke you. And he's saying, hold on, son, this isn't for you right now. Hold on, my daughter, this isn't for you right now. And I'm saying that because I want you to understand it intellectually and conceptually because that faith, that part of your faith where you understand might be the only thing that's available to you. Because trust me, the emotional part, the feel-good part might not be there for a while. That might have escaped you for a while. But that part of your faith, again, that conceptual, that intellectual idea that God has you, Hold on to that. Remember that. Even though if it doesn't feel like it right now, he does. He is rescuing you. Right on, brother. And I just want to just share a quick little piggyback on that, bro, CeeLo. And, and it's, you know, it's a little different take, but similar as well. When I take that idea that the psalmist says, okay, one more time. The psalm says, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. So in my own personal journey, what I think about right now is, well, how did you rescue me? And so as Brother Carla was talking about that, you know, the example of the the pen cap and just taking it out and the uncomfortability in it. And sometimes when you hear the word rescue, sometimes people will think of like being abandoned, you know, on an island or a ship or and then there's a rescue plane or or something like that, or like a, you know, just someone is, is drowning and they're being rescued by a lifeguard, right? All different things might come to the word rescue. And in this sense, for me, the connection that I made, especially with the first reading, and to, again, I always talk about how, the, what is our response, right, to this first reading? What I thought about is, well, how did, number one, God make us imperishable? Like, what does that mean? You know, how did he, how does he make us, how do we make ourselves imperishable? And then what did he do? He gave us the greatest gift. He gave us Jesus. So in the same sense, when I think of this word, you know, this phrase, a response, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I think about Jesus rescuing us and following Jesus is not easy. 
Doing what Jesus did is not easy. So when we think about being countercultural, when we think about all the ways that he stood up when no one else would, the sacrifices that he made, and over and over, we'll talk about time and time again how Jesus came to set the earth on fire and how he wished it were already blazing, right? Luke 12, 49, and the idea that the fire is his light and his love, but he showed us a way to live that is really hard to do, especially today. And so when I think about this idea, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I think automatically, thank you for sending your son, God. And again, like Brother Jay said, the Psalms are pre-Jesus, y'all. But it's like, thank you for sending your son to be the human example on earth that I needed to follow, to listen to, to study, to watch to question. And if we look at the life of Christ, again, all things pointing to Christ because through Christ, that's the only way we get to God and that's the only way we get to heaven. So think about that for a moment. Think about your life right now for all of our listeners, right? Like, Are you praising Lord because not he, because he rescued you in the sense that, you know, miraculously something showed up that you needed or, you know, you were in this situation. And again, I think there's a lot of times where these things happen, these God incidences happen where we're like, whoa, how did that happen? All those God incidents or God handled that, right? And, and I think those are other different types of rescue. But thinking about how God rescued you through Jesus. And so the type of rescue that came to mind for me as Brother Carlo was sharing was imagine like those, um, you know, those uh, those military missions where they got to extract someone and save them from another country. Right. Like they, they, someone got taken captive and now they send a team out to go into another country and they got to go through their go through and find the people, free the people and then get the people. But they don't just get rescued and, you know, all is said and done. No, like they get broken free from the prison and they got to run. They got to duck. They got to follow and they got to trust the rescue team. And the rescue team might take them through the jungle. The desert might take them through fire. Right. Like. That's the kind of, you know, image that came to me when Brother CeeLo was sharing his. And I was like, yeah, this is like Jesus taking us through the fire, taking us through the the bullets, the, the jungle, taking us through the ups, the downs. And he's like, here, I got you. Just follow me. And I feel like that's how Jesus rescued me. That's how the Lord, that's how God rescued me through Jesus Christ. By allowing me to have role model. That I've always needed, that I've always yearned for, even when I know I didn't. So, in connection with that first reading, this is why we are imperishable, because Jesus even rose from dead. From dead, you know, even Jesus even rose from the dead, and so will we, to be imperishable. Bro, Jay, anything you want to add on to that, my bro? Oh, it's all beautiful. Like, nope. <laughs> Can I, can I throw something in there? I just thought of. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and brother Jay, this is, you know, this is a, you might be familiar with this situation. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm a third party observing from the outside and, um, and 
basically what I'm saying is I'm not trying to share someone else's story, but when I look, when I think about that story, I'm like, there's, there's a different purpose for it. You know, um, you know, I remember a young sister, um, who chose to go into the convent. And recently we saw that young sister and, you know, she was no longer in the convent, but she was married with a son, you know? Um, and I was just thinking like, man, you know, I, I believe, you know, not, not totally understanding the whole situation. Basically, you know, it didn't work out that she was going to go into that vocation. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those interesting things where, like here, here she is, this young girl, ready to devote her life. You know, her life. She's ready to devote it to God. And like, what an awesome vocation! You know, what an an amazing thing to do to want to do to truly do God's work. And yet, it didn't work out. You know, and. When I when I saw this sister, I was just like, maybe it's because she was supposed to have a son, you know, or you know, and it's just one of those things where I realized that sometimes even the plans that we have for ourselves, even even if if it's one of the most noble plans, you know, God's gonna steer you where you need to be, you know, because again, He's the architect; He knows what He needs to have happen; He knows what needs to be done. And I know there's some other, you know, some other of our friends and family out there that have tried to go into vocations. You know, one of one of our dear brothers who who didn't end up, you know, going into that direction. And I know there was a little bit of heartache on his part, a lot of soul searching. But man, you know, just to see another person in a very similar situation, you know, now has you know, a beautiful baby boy, a husband, and they're happy. And, you know, it's just one of those things like you don't, you you may not completely understand where God is steering you. And what seems like, you know, a failure, what seems like, you know, a brick wall might just be a redirection, you know, and God's trying to put you where he needs you. Um and I just want to throw out there because it's not it's not just always about like, oh, I made a bad decision. I got caught up, you know, I went to prison. Like, dude, even some of the best laid plans with the best intentions, you know, maybe he's like, no, 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 that's not for you right now. I got to put you over here. And I, I just want to throw that concept out there because, you know, that whole idea of he moves in mysterious ways, man, like he, you ain't lying. That's, 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 it's mysterious. You won't understand it. But at the same time, you know, as a testimony, you know, third party testimony here, I've seen that his plan leads to your true joy and happiness in the long run, you know, and I just, I wanted to testify to that because again, you know, sometimes you go through stuff thinking you've been punished, you've, you're not doing something right, but in the end, you're, you know, in the big picture, and I think this is why, maybe this is why, you know, older adults are a little more, you know, patient about life because they've seen how things play out, 
you know, they've seen the story. They've seen how people can change, how things happen and how life can go on. And there's still happiness to be experienced even when you feel like, you know, something didn't go your way. Just another example of God is good all the time. And um, that definitely does play true, right? A lot of the OGs, they sit back and they know they've been through all the stages and circles of life. But for those who are in it in that moment, that is everything. Life is falling apart right then and there. And so I could definitely understand how, you know, a lot of the OGs can just like look back and they just know like, okay, like we've seen this before. Now we know what could happen one way or the other, but you got to let it play out. Um, and I think that's that's a beautiful testimony. And for all of our brothers and sisters, anyone listening that maybe has discerned or was in the process and discerned out, like one thing that with some of the people we know who I've spoken with about their discernment out of vocations, specifically priesthood, and I said, well, just imagine how many years were you able to really take time to spend not just learning about the faith, but in just learning, you know, in community and what the life of a priest would be like. And I said, so like, just cause you didn't finish and go through, doesn't mean that, you know, like it was a waste of time. I always think that, you know, you gained so much in, in that time that you were there, you've learned so much, you've met so many people and I would rather you discern out instead of just going forward just because you were already there and then something worse happens later because it's not on your heart and we've seen that happen too in the catholic church so so yeah so for anyone discerning vocations you know we are always keeping you in our prayers for those of our brothers and sisters who have discerned out of vocations even religious life um you're also in our prayers and we thank you for just being having that honest moment with yourself and with god um so yeah Thanks, Brother Silo, for, for shedding light on that. And so for our next reading, we're going to jump into uh, the second reading, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7, 9, 13 through 15. All right, so we're returning to Paul again, and he's talking to the Corinthians again. <laughs> um, and, you know, a, a Corinth is that definitely a diverse town with a church with people who have uh, many gifts, you know, and, you know, with that diversity comes a, a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different gifts. And, um, but one thing that he uh, wanted to exhort them in was uh, in, in the beginning verse, in the beginning verses, he mentions this gracious act. Um, and he, what he's talking about is generosity. And, and he's not just talking about generosity in the material sense, though, that's included. He is talking about generosity in um, sharing uh, material and spiritual goods, which means like, you know, putting yourself to this uh, to the service of others, you know, you sharing your faith, sharing knowledge, sharing, you know, um, uh, uh, your your service and your strength and lending them to others. Um, and so, uh, and so this, this reading is about the common good in a sense, and we'll see more about that later, but this common good is, uh, ultimately based on the act of the incarnation, 
And we, so we read, For you know the gracious act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, uh, just if you're reading this with, with a, a simplistic um, lens, uh, you'd say, you know, Jesus was never rich while he was on earth, but that's not what, what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the fact that the Son of God came from heaven uh, and became one of us. You know, he was in heaven. He was already in paradise. He had no uh, reason to compel him to come to become one of us, to become vulnerable to suffering and to uh, all the things that human beings have to go through. Um, but he did that so that by becoming one of us, we can come to have that life with him in heaven to become rich, you know, in quotes. And that's the real wealth that he's, that he's talking about, that um, in our generosity, we're not just trying to, um, you know, all be materially well off. He's talking about how, uh, he's talking about building up the church and generosity is an important aspect of this because it's participating in the very goodness of God who who shared his, uh, you know, didn't just give us things, but he shares his life with us. And that, that's, that was the whole point of the incarnation. Uh, and so using the incarnation and God's generosity, and we talked about this earlier in, in the podcast, how um, God gives us his son, you know, that's the ultimate generosity. He's holding nothing back, you know, <laughs> giving us his only beloved son. Um, and um, so that we can be raised to uh, a new level of dignity, um, that we might be called children of God, um, you know, as John says. Um, and yet so we are, you know. Uh, and just to shed a little light on the poverty that God is is saving us from, you know, going back to the, the consequences of original sin, you know, when Adam and Eve rejected paradise and rejected God's order and rejected how God made us to be imperishable, you know, through, through that original sin, we became perishable. We were, in a sense, destined for, for nothingness, you know, um, if God just left us to our own devices and he had every right to, to because we rejected his, um, his plan, his order, um, we'd just be living, um, you know, according to what atheists uh, think we, we're, the kind of life we're living is just not, uh, meaningless and nothing ultimately leading to a nothing kind of existence. Uh, and so, um, in this way, uh, by rescuing us through giving us his son, like, like Brother Ryan talked about, we're um, really becoming rich. We're being saved from that fate, and we're given um, uh, uh, the greatest wealth, which is God's life, and, to, and, and the fulfillment of God's original plan which is to be imperishable, to be, you know, deathless. And, um, but in, in the material sense, and, and um, Paul is saying this to the, uh, 
to the community there in, in Corinth that um, even here now, we can begin to experience, you know, the, uh, the abundance of heaven if we just uh, take the time to live uh, with each other, you know, and to live a common life uh, where we share with one another. You know, um, there's, a, there's a teaching in the church uh, called the universal destination of goods, you know, and, um, you know, uh, the church says that we have a reasonable right uh, to private property, um, but there, um, that needs to be tempered by, um, by a, a certain solidarity with one another. You know, that the goods of the earth are meant for every single human being. Every single human being has a right to have what they need just to survive, you know, and when we have, uh, you know, populations of people who don't even have clean water, who don't even have clothes, who don't even have, you know, um, uh, food, you know, um, there's a sense in which Paul is challenging us to, to see that and know that that's not part of God's plan. God, uh, we, we've been talking about this, how God wants all of us to, he gave us all life to have life in full and um, and not that we all need to have the exact same amount of money in our bank accounts and to have the same exact food no and, and he'll um, Paul will kind of uh, address that you know but that we there is a an equality between us that whoever did not have much did not have more. Whoever had little did not have less. You know, um, and just to, to add on a little of my own personal experience of this, I remember when we first bought our our, our townhouse. It was a small townhouse. It was a, um, uh, a I think a thousand square feet for two bedrooms for um, me, uh, my wife May, and our two girls. Um, but it was a cramped. A thousand square feet, you know, and <laughs> and we didn't have a driveway. Um, it was a one car garage, and um, we were cramping for space. But you know, we had a a little balcony, and um, you know, uh, there were nights when you know it was the weather was uh, just right, and I could go out on the balcony and just kind of sit there and either read or just sit. And um, you know, uh, uh, at that moment. You know, I didn't envy anyone. It was it was just like a really nice and peaceful situation, even though I didn't have, um, uh, even though I had little in in the way of you know um, uh, of homes. You know, when when a lot of the people I know had like much bigger houses, <laughs> um, I didn't have. I didn't feel like I had less. You know, I I, I had um, uh. I had enough, you know, and I, I was happy to have what we had, you know. Um, um, but yeah, so um, just to come back to the original um, point, you know, God kind of wants us to have uh, that sort of sense of living in community that, you know, um, we can't pull in, in, you know, in the tug of war that is the economy at, at times, 
we can't pull too hard such that those who can't pull for themselves are, are left with nothing. And, and, uh, and it's all based on, you know, God's plan for us and what he desires for us, even in this life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and again, if you, wherever you are in your life, I love that that piece, Jay, about moving into your your condo. It's like so many times. Like I remember when I got to drive my dad's nineteen eighty seven Ford Ranger with dual gas tank, stick shift, all Dookie Brown. Right, was the color, and I had that. Remember those tops that you would put in the back, and then it would open up, and you put the little carpeted seats on the inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, remember on Sonoma Boulevard, they used to sell them those little custom tops, and then you open it up because it was a pickup truck, right? And we we'd put the oh, custom yeah, yeah. top on, and you put the little um, seats on the inside with the carpet, bruh. And we used to mm-hmm. take that thing to like you know Reno and sleep in back there and i remember when i got my driver's license i was like oh i'm riding tough i remember smiling bro and i remember (laughs) me and will vallejo's man we we took the truck out bro again 1987 ford rangers took the truck out to walnut creek you know what i'm saying because we thought we was balling and we went to uh (laughs) to macy's out there in walnut creek because back then polo sport wallets were you know on point so can you imagine bro we're driving out there you know, 1987 Ford Ranger. And y'all know about Walnut Creek. And for our listeners, if you don't, definitely upper echelon area, you know, the affluence. Collars up, polo sport. You know what I'm saying? Balling, right? And and I just remember, though, I didn't care about the, the BMWs and the Mercedes and, you know, the Jaguars and all the nice cars around me. I was like, yo, I was happy. Just I had just enough. We had gas. We, you know, I had my license and we would go to you know wherever in the truck so so like you said bro jay it's like that whole line whoever had much did not have more whoever had little did not have less so wherever you are in your life just know like you are in a season right now you are in a season right now that is not temp that is not permanent your situation is not permanent if if brother carlo brother jeremy and i can attest to anything is that everything in life that we have experienced or are going to experience isn't anything that we specifically plan to the T and that everything that we're experiencing is again, a lot of trust, a lot of faith, but a lot of, you know, just this idea that God is good all the time, right? God will always give you what you, you know, God won't always give you what you want, but he'll always give you what you need because sometimes what you want isn't what you need. And so uh, just real quickly, y'all on this, in this reading, one thing that really just kind of popped out at me was the line right here where it says, you know, where we talk about equality. All right. So let me just take a moment here where he says, not that others should have relief while you are burdened, but that as a matter of equality. Okay. So check it out. Here it is. Your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may also supply your needs. So that right there, the visual is the gifts that you have, you are given to share with those who don't have it. And they, what they have, 
that you don't have, they give back to you. And it goes back to the theme of us being one body. Look at this podcast. We're all supplying each other for the abundance of whatever I can provide. I'll supply to the need of this podcast. Whatever I don't have, Jay has. Whatever Jay doesn't have, Brother Carlo has. And we are just supplying all of our needs equally so that it doesn't feel like you know, one is being burdened or is one, you know, like the line above it says, you know, not that others should have relief while you are burdened. Right. And I think about that as like someone laughing at you because you messed up. Right. And in this group right here, in this trifecta, in this trinity right here. Okay. It's like, there hasn't been a time where we're laughing at each other because we didn't get it or because, you know, we were way off base or whatever. Like there's none of that in this, in this group. And I feel like it's a true uh, measure or representation of this idea of equality in this specific piece of scripture. where We say your abundance at the present time supplies their needs and their abundance may also supply your needs. So wherever you are in your life, in your faith, think about that for a moment. Whatever abundance you have at this time, and that could be a bunch of different things. That could be your time. That could be your resources. That could be your connections. That could be, you know, whatever you have abundantly at this moment can supply those around you or those you serve, your family now. And what you don't have in their abundance can supply your needs. So that's just a reminder that we can't do it alone. We were not meant to do it alone. And you're thinking, well, what is it? Whatever God has put on your heart, whatever has God, you know, again, when you think about vocation, vox, voice, right? God calls each of us to a certain vocation If it's holy matrimony, we can't do it alone. Even in the vocation of the priesthood, you can't do it alone. right? You may have an individual title, but you are doing it in community. So, again, the idea of community, the idea of equality, the idea of giving from your abundance to help the needs of others. And the abundance of others will help your needs, which means you don't got it all and you don't got it all figured out is a beautiful reminder that God is good all the time because in your weaknesses, God will provide for you people's strengths that will help your weaknesses. And with your strengths, we are called to help those who it might be their weaknesses or their needs. So just a little, little something, something on that y'all. So I'm going to touch on a concept that, I brought up a few podcasts ago, and it's this concept that your time here on earth is almost like an audition, almost a training camp to become a citizen of heaven. And, you know, I just want to offer this perspective. I think, you know, one of one of the other aspects of of what Paul is trying to, to get us to understand is you know not not just you know sharing here on earth but i think if if you look at it from you know a, a training standpoint it's almost like you're training your soul to be generous um and i'll illustrate it this way can you imagine 
if you had like five Scrooge McDucks in a cavern full of gold, you know, of just endless amounts of gold, I could imagine each Scrooge McDuck like putting a fence around his claim, you know, putting a fence around what they deemed this is mine. You, your stuff is over there. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. This is all my stuff. And what I'm trying to parallel that to is, can you imagine if people had conditioned themselves here on earth to be greedy and all of a sudden they're all in heaven, you know, with a place that's just unlimited, you know, everything you know, has the ability to have unlimited everything. Man, that would be a funky heaven. You know what I'm saying? You'd have a whole bunch of Scrooge McDucks running around trying to, you know, take everything. And so what I'm what I'm trying to get back to is, you know, in addition to to keeping it fair, and, and I'm gonna ask you a question in a second, Brother Jeremy, because like I want to know what the name of that teaching was. Like actually, what, what was the name of that that church teaching? What was the title of it? Uh, the universal destination of goods. The universal destination of goods. I mean, man, if if there's anything that we could share with, you know, our brothers and sisters of the Christian persuasion in today's world today about, you know, this concept of making sure that everyone has enough. Not everyone has to be rich, but let's make sure everyone has enough you know, shelter, food, and water, if everyone just had enough, man, we need to work towards that. But going back to what I was saying is we're training for heaven. That's what we're doing here. You know, we're training to be generous. Cause I'm gonna I'm gonna make this 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 leap and think that when you're in heaven, you're probably a generous person you know i'm gonna bet that everyone in heaven right now is generous and they're willing to share not that you have to up there but i'm gonna guess that's what it is up there because i don't i don't imagine there's any greed in heaven you know i i i'm i'm gonna you know put a put a one dollar wager on that i'll probably get, you know double my money you know when i when i get there hopefully but I'm a bet there's no greed in heaven. And so if you practice generosity down here, you are very much on your way to adjusting very easily into heaven when you get there. I don't think you'll have any problem. But if you're down here, you know, hoarding all of the wealth because that's just what you want to do. Oh, man. You know, it, it might be like going into a vegan restaurant and, you know, you're, you're not vegan. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a hard adjustment, you know, to get something that you like. But, you know, and, and I, you know, again, with, with a lot of things, I feel like we're given the blueprint down here to understand, hey, this is how it works up there or in there. You know, this is how it works. This is how we behave up there. This is how you become a good citizen. Um, and I, I also feel like, you know, it, it sets you up for certain habits. You know, 
Um, you know, speaking of of not having much, man, I remember when I was a kid, I'd always get all my shoes from Payless on the corner of Redwood and Sonoma Boulevard when it was still there. You know about that BOGO. Right? You know, that sale, bro. Like every every three months I had one. XJ nine hundreds, man. That's that's it, bro. That's that's how we lived. And um and I look back at those times and I realize like, man, that that really formed me. Um because one of the ways it formed me was I was I wasn't attached to brand names, you know, growing up. Like even now, like the stuff I wear isn't because it's attached to a brand, you know, it's because I do the research on it and I realize, you know, I find that, Oh, this is going to serve the purpose of what I want. You know, if, if I want to get some good hiking boots, I'm not just going to think of, Oh, you know, the old school Timberlands. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the, no, I'm going to find out the reviews. Is it comfortable? You know, is it lightweight? Is it waterproof? You know, there's certain aspects about that, but I'm not attached to any single brand name just because of the brand name. And, you know, let's be real. There's a lot of, of people out there who struggle with that, Oh, you know, yeah. who struggle with attachment to material things. And, you know, if, if we're training our souls to be that way here, man, you know, you can't bring your shoes up with you, you know, to the place, to, to heaven, you know, you can't take all your gold with you. That's not coming with you. And if I feel like if there's anything that you're attached to down here that you cannot let go of like a ball in a chain. You hold on to that and you can't let go because that's what you've conditioned your spirit to, to be, man, it's going to be a hard, a hard transition. You know, if there's even a transition, so, you know, practice how you play the big games up there, you know, and if, uh, if we're not practicing to be citizens of heaven, it, it might be a, a tough, a tough, uh, a tough journey when we get to that point. Big facts, bro. Big facts. And, and two things I wanted to share real quick. First one was you are true. You know, when you were talking about the Timberlands, I remember we went on that hiking trip with Uncle Chuck, Uncle Phil, uh, the Jenskis. I know Roach was out there with us. Uh, Tum Tum, uh, Uncle Drew. I remember Jay, were you on that hike, Jay? I don't think so. Okay, and I I remember we went on this hike, and I remember uh, it was special to me because it was actually the first hike or strenuous activity that uh, Uncle Chuck was doing after he had his first heart attack. Rest in peace, Uncle Chuck. And I remember I was like, oh, I got to go. And, um, man, I remember going out there, bruh. Never in my life have I been hiking, and here I am at the Timberland Outlet in Napa trying to get cute. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm about to get the dope, the cutest, not cute, but, you know, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> get fitted up. And I just remember buying these Timberlands. And, again, I'm not knocking Timberland. I'm pretty sure they have a legit hiking boot. But whatever I had, I thought I was dope. And I remember, bro, wearing my Timberlands just like, 
you know, I was like, oh, I got my Tim's on, blah, blah, blah. And I remember walking and hiking and bro, my feet was getting caught in the rocks. My soul was bending. I was twisting my ankle. And I and then I see Chris Jensky, bro, in front of me, just walking along, no, just nice and smooth, heavier backpack than me, you know? And I'm like, how is this dude just walking on top of these rocks like that? I was like, hey, Chris, what kind of, sh- you know, shoes you got, bro? And, you know, he would, and he, had said some brand i never heard of in my life and and i was like what do, do timberlands make things like that because <laughs> i was still stuck on timberlands and he was like i'm not sure and basically it had this like hard plastic sole that doesn't bend and he got it from rei right so just like mm. you were saying bro jay like i mean bro carlo where you're like yeah you know it it serves its purpose so here i am trying to look dope and I'm hurting, feet hurting, in pain, in pain. <laughs> dope and in pain. And bro. I know our <laughs> listeners. I know some of our listeners right now. You wear those Nike shoes that's too tight for your feet, but you want to look cute. Come on, be real. There's so many times, you know, my own family, even Aja, sometimes will wear these shoes, and she'll be so quick to take them off at home, and she's like, "Oh, my feet hurt so bad wearing those." And I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. You know, what I'm saying wearing that. But anyways, I wanted to share that. And then lastly, we talked about the universal destination of goods and brother carlo was talking about you know we know up in heaven people ain't stealing right people are sharing if anything and so just to give context go into your catechism right it's under article seven under thou shall not steal and so for those of you who aren't sure or don't know what the catechism of the catholic church is that is our teaching the magisterium the teachings of the church and it is uh, paragraph 2401 all right, 2401 is talks about the seventh commandment, and then under that, starting 2402, is the universal destination and the private ownership of goods. So, if you are curious to see how you can do that, and you want a little breakdown of what the church teaches about this universal destination of goods and what stealing is in a different context, please be sure catechism of the Catholic Church start at 2401 and just work your way down. Everything about what the church believes written out. No secrets. It's all in there. Think about that. Paragraph 2,401. Yes. And there's many more. There's many more. So if you got any questions. Man, the category. Yeah. Man, bro. I, You know, even as a confirmation teacher, that's one thing that disheartens me sometimes or i'm not disheartens if that's the right word, but makes me sad is when, you know, I talk about the catechism and they're like, the what? <laughs> and you know and again not that and i always at least i knew what the book was back then the, back then we had the big green book at saint basil's and uh, i remember Auntie julie gave me one but but like yeah shout out to uncle errol and auntie julie man yeah. they're the ones that introduced that to me too yeah so. even my first bible came from auntie julie it was um uh catholic youth bible it was that purple pink ombre colored uh cover anyways but but yeah you know just like again y'all there's there's resources out there the stuff that inspires us isn't anything that we're just you know coming from just us alone so go to the catechism if you haven't spent time with it that's a series that i've been uh praying on for us to do at some point as well the catechism Mm -hmm. breakdown because that is definitely something that makes us different than many other denominations so um yeah, y'all. So yeah, so catechism, check it out. Start at 2401, paragraph 2401, and work your way down if you want to know more about uh, the universal destination of goods. So, 
and uh, and the catechism the full catechism is online you can find it uh there's a few websites uh the vatican has a as a version but if you just google um catechism of the catholic church uh online it'll probably pop up uh, yeah 99 yeah absolutely free 99 saint saint baromio has a good one saint has a good one as well uh Again, yeah, there's re yeah. there's resources out there, y'all. Um, so don't be like, oh, I don't have a catechism. But, you know, they don't have a Catholic bookstore in my town. Well, guess what? There's Amazon and <laughs> there's online. Get it for the Nacho Libre. So, <laughs> all right, y'all. So check it out. We're going to go ahead and jump into our final reading of this 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And we are doing the full version, y'all. Come on. We don't skip. We don't skip out here, y'all. The full version the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. All right, so in this gospel, uh, we're going to come across a, an interesting uh, literary device that Mark uses. called uh, It's called among scholars the Markin sandwich. And what we'll see is, and, and uh, the Gospel of Mark has several of these. Um, we'll see one, I think, in the next chapter as well, where Jesus sends out uh, his disciples and it's interrupted by another story. And then and he comes back to the story of the apostles after they've re returned from their missionary trip. But um, so this one, um, uh, the, these Markin sandwiches, they, they all focus on the same theme, but uh, it's just coming at it from a, a couple of different uh, perspectives. And, um, uh, but it, it's all conveying the same message. Um, and, you know, uh, by chapter five, you know, Jesus is in, in the heart of his public ministry and his public ministry was primarily to proclaim the kingdom of God, you know, it, you know in, the, in the mystery, the, um, the third uh, luminous mysteries, the third luminous mystery of the rosary it's about proclaiming the kingdom of god and and um you know in the gospels this is a major part of it uh, uh, jesus public ministry and in god in mark's gospel in particular um there's a certain set of things that jesus is doing he's uh teaching he's driving out demons and he's healing you know the, the, those are some of the major things that he's he's doing and so here we have, uh, and he's already done these things by uh, uh, several of these things at this point. And so uh, Jesus has has gathered a large crowd around him, um, uh, and you know this comes soon after last week's gospel, which we didn't get to talk about. And I really missed you guys for, for that. But um, it, it, uh, when Jesus calms the storm, right, um, and the the disciples ask. Who, who is this that can that even the wind and the sea obey? Um, and so here we're kind of seeing a little bit more an answer to this question, um, not only to the who Jesus is in his person, but also sort of the the motives and the intentions um, of God revealed through Christ, and what what does God want for us? And so what we have here is we there's a a synagogue official, one of the, um, a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you know, one of the priestly um, class of people in Jerusalem, 
named Jairus, uh, who's at the beginning of the story, we find his daughter is sick. Um, so Jesus, so Jairus comes to uh, Jesus and asks him to heal her. Uh, and so Jesus agrees and goes with him. And while he's going through the crowd, and here's where the, you know, so that's the first piece of bread in the sandwich. And then uh, in the middle of the sandwich is the story of the woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. So she's had this bleed um, uh, that uh, that no doctor has cured. And what's significant about this in the Jewish context is, you know, if you were bleeding, you were considered unclean. And so, you know, um, uh, for that time of the month for women, um, they weren't allowed to worship in the temple. But for someone who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years nonstop, you know, that's, um, they basically have not been able to be part of the community for 12 years. They haven't been able to worship God. They haven't been, you know, able to participate in uh, their their culture and be part of the community. She was considered unclean. And so uh, there's a little bit of scandal uh, involved here when, when she says to herself, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. You know, um, uh, the Jewish people who would have, read this would have been like, uh, um, you know, they already had an understand this uh, kind of mistaken understanding that if someone was sick or, or you know, had some sort of bodily deformity or, or uh, affliction of that kind, that there was a sin at the root of it. Um, uh, and we, we see that in other parts of the gospel, but, um, one uh, condition or one of the uh, laws that was kind of etched out uh, at this time was that if you were one of these people who were considered ritually unclean and was afflicted with some something like this, you weren't supposed to touch anyone because anyone who was touched would also be rendered unclean ritually. Uh, and so they would have to be, you know, um, go through the purity rituals and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a little bit of, of scandal here that, you know, she, but uh, she wants to be healed. She wants to be part of the community again, and she sees in Jesus a hope. And so um, she's, so in her faith, she says, if I just but touch his clothes, I can be healed. I can be cured. And, uh, and so she, she does it, and she reaches out, touches Jesus, and she's healed. Um, and then, um, you know, we, ha we have this. Um, but uh, just another uh, interesting little um, note, 12 years she's been suffering. The number 12 will be significant, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see that that's also the age of the girl um, that, uh, that um, Jesus also uh, raises from the dead. But um, we're getting a little ahead. But 12 is a significant number because, um, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel were the foundation of the nation and kingdom of Israel. And uh, when Israel was destroyed in the Babylonian exile, um, uh, and and then like it never really f fully recovered, um, it was a, a messianic prophecy uh, that one of God's promises would be to restore uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's why he has 12 disciples around him. That was another... Um, 
um, way of fulfilling the prophecy of the 12 tribes is by beginning with this 12 people. Um, anyway. Um, so my bad, yeah, I had to throw that in there, man, because you just, man, that was so, bro, you broke that down and this is what counts like this. <laughs> but I was like, when you said 12 and then you broke down the age of the girl, the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, bro, like, I mean, I didn't want to give you horns that this was more angelic to me. So I was just like taking, <laughs> taking back, bro. So my bad. The heavens bro. opened up. For reals, bro. So if y'all are listening to this right now, when you get to mass or if you were at mass or when you get, yeah, when you hear, when you look at the word 12 in this reading y'all there is more to it all right there's always more to it i think that's something mm -hmm. that if you haven't learned already through you know through the scriptures through readings through scholars even through this podcast there's always more to it my bad jay go ahead bro no no i thought i was hearing something i was like was, I, was that supposed to be there <laughs> no <laughs> oh, that was funny uh, anyway um so um yeah so jesus heals this this woman and uh by doing so this enables her and allows her to return to be part of the community again and um so like this woman is in a way a uh, a symbol of israel you know that uh that and israel and jerusalem in particular is, is often in in the old testament has been compared to being like a, a woman um who is, uh, you know, who is mistreated, was in poverty, has um, uh, no one to protect her, and uh, this sort of thing. But, um, but God saves her by um, by bringing her into His household and marrying her and loving her the way that she deserved to be loved. You know, um, and uh, and so in this way that. Um, this woman uh, symbolizing Israel uh, is sort of returning to the community of, of Israel. Um, but uh, in the analogy, this is Israel being brought into God's presence, you know, and there's a reconciliation there. But um, uh, uh, just to sort of round out um, the, the entire gospel. So we return now to the the bottom piece of the bread uh and uh this is sort of the climax of the story and, and where the point of uh uh of the common theme of god's uh will for good for us uh, is kind of driven home and reaches its climax is that you know jesus is out doing this thing and, and notice the breathlessness of this gospel right and mark is the breathless gospel you know, Jesus is, um, he just, you know, walked up, or he just stilled a, uh, a, um, uh, a storm. Uh, he just got off the boat, and there's a crowd of people around him. And uh, Jairus, he immediately comes to him and asks him to heal his daughter. And while he's walking through this crowd, a lot of people are touching him. And, and then um, he has this uh, uh, little episode where a woman is, is healed. And then um, while he's still speaking, you know, so this is supposed to be happen one right after the other. Uh, while he was still speaking, people from the synagogue's officials' house 
uh, arrived and said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Now, um, notice notice in the question that there's a, a kind of hopelessness. There's a, there's a sense in which, you know, death has won this round. You know, there, uh, death has won this, uh, has claimed this girl. There's no more fight left to be fought. Um, but Jesus, he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. Well, in other words, you know, the fight's not over. <laughs> um, there, there's, there's more, um, uh, there's more that can be done. And so, uh, uh, so, and he's, he brings in Peter, James, and John, you know, our, our famous int intimate three uh, of the, of the 12, um, that accompanies Jesus in many things, uh, like the transfiguration and, uh, other things, but, um, uh, but he says to the, to the people, you know, why this commotion, why this weeping, the child is not dead, but just asleep. And so he puts everyone else out and then he raises the girl from the dead. Little girl, I say to you, rise to leave the Um, and, uh, again, the, uh, um, the girl is only 12 years old, but, uh, she's up and walking around as if nothing happened. Right. <laughs> um, and so uh, what this what this Markin sandwich is is really driving home is uh, that Jesus came so that we may have life and have life in full. You know, we're not here um, just to live and die and then then go on into uh, and go on into nothingness, but that uh, there is life that God wants us to have and to um uh, that our life is not to be filled with with misery and and uh suffering but that there is an ultimate desire for our goodness our happiness and um even on this side of heaven that, that there is um happiness to to be had even if this is a you know as the famous prayer says a valley of tears um there is a joy to be had because even uh, even here, uh, like the second reading says, Christ is with us. You know, Christ is among us. He became poor so that he can be with us and walk with us through this valley so that um, we're, we're safely seen to the other side. And um, uh, and that's really the ultimate message of, of this gospel and this sandwich is uh, God wants us to have life and uh, not just to survive, but to li have life in full. Man, bro. Let me give you that one more time. <laughs> giving you angelic sound effects here. But let me just share real quickly before I send it over to bro Carlo. Is that what I love here? And I love how you talked about the sandwich, the Marcon sandwich. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, y'all, Marcon, we're not talking macaroon, y'all. We're talking Marcon, M A R C A N sandwich. It's going to be in the description. So we just wanted to just clarify that. But, you know, what I love is, is how the layers here. Right. There's three different layers here that I that I picked out just off of you just sharing that the first 
part is where a girl is sick almost to death. The second piece is the lady who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, excommunicated and all, and then a girl who was dead. So we think about all, well, I think about all the different levels that each person was at. And Jesus saved them all. And in, well, I, I, so the, the first girl, the girl from the first one, uh, is the same girl in the in the second. Oh, so that's uh, the sandwich. The, the that's the sandwich. Gosh, so that's yeah. so that's Jairus's daughter. So they skipped right. it and they went right. over. Okay, so even then, right? Like just thinking about, like you said before that. Okay, so I'll even backtrack there. Before that, in this breathless gospel, he was already doing healings left and right. And and my my thought was here was that. No matter where we are in our lives, no matter how far off track we are, no matter how less off track we are, there's not only room for Jesus to come rescue us as in the response, but it's also the same reason that God continues to remind us that we are imperishable. It's also another reason that God is good all the time and so for for all of our listeners that are with us right now thinking about how has god rescued you or how do you see god rescuing you like what is it in your life that you struggle with and i think about a lot of times we struggle with giving it all to god we struggle with you, you know, you might be in that situation, um, like the hemorrhaging, the lady who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Maybe you've been so far off, like Brother Carlos said, you maybe you're so far off that feeling that you had at church and your church experience is gone. But here's another example that say, look, no matter how far off you are, no matter how long it's been, if you have the heart and the desire and the conviction, just like this hemorrhaging lady, to feel the touch of Christ in your life, go for it. Go for it. Jesus will see you. Jesus knows your heart. And I think that's something to remind us, like, don't worry about what everyone else is going to say. Because just like, you know, in the reading, like, like your brother Jay was mentioning, like, that wasn't allowed. If this hemorrhaging lady touched anybody, then they would be considered damaged goods. Then they would be considered tainted. And here she is knowing in her heart that Jesus can heal her. And I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe that Jesus can save us as well? Do we believe that Jesus can heal us in that same exact way, no matter how much sin we have, you know, committed or how much, you know, how far away we are from God and the teachings of the church. Like, are we willing to still reach out? Are we still, are we still willing, are we still willing to allow Christ in our lives and in our hearts? And I feel like in this gospel reading, right, the sandwich just the layers of how God really wants to heal us, how God really wants us to turn back to him 
And then I love Jairus, right? Maybe you're the father or the mother of a child who maybe is not physically dying, but is spiritually dying. For all of our listeners right now, if you're a parent and your sons and daughters, children, grandchildren have left the church, who aren't going to mass, who stop praying, who you're watching them live a life that you know where it could end up. Keep praying. Keep seeking Christ for your children. That's the one thing that as a father that I really am thankful for, for having the faith that I have. Because when my daughter doesn't always show it or seem to have it, it doesn't stop me from continuing to pray for her. And I really believe that there's so many different ways we can look at this reading and put ourselves in that position. Maybe you're the hemorrhaging woman and been away for so long that you feel like it's too late, that people have pushed you away. People don't want you around. You got a bad reputation. People talk bad about you. They don't want to have nothing to do with you. If you come back to the church, they're going to call you a hypocrite. Maybe that's you, but go, you know what? It's not about those other people. It's about you in Christ. Maybe you're the, the parent seeking the salvation and the saving of your child. Are you willing to reach out to Christ and do what it takes to do that? Right. So just really, again, there's so many ways we can break that down. And as I'm really thinking about like, wow, like how many times, you know, have, have I come short from turning to Christ because of my own belief of me not being good enough, not being worthy, being embarrassed. And I feel like, man, I can still say, just like in the response, that, you know, I praise you, Lord, because you rescued me. I want to point out one thing that really fascinates me. Um, and that's that's the prefigurement of the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, confession, also known and I know we mentioned before in the past that, you know, like just how all churches are designed so that the confessional is technically outside of the church. The The prefigurement I'm seeing here anyway is, you know, how this woman who'd been hemorrhaging, who'd been considered ritually unclean, was basically cast outside of the community. And as soon as, you know, she made contact with Jesus, physical contact with Jesus, she was basically restored to being able to be back in the community. And I, I that just really caught my attention because, man, that's what confession is, you know? So it's almost like, you know, spoiler alert, you know, I'm, I'm establishing something when, when you come to me, you know, you're back in the the good grace of the community. You know, you're back. You're back in the fold. You know, so I I just thought that was amazing. It's like, oh man, I never noticed that before. I've heard this reading a few times, and now I'm seeing like there he is trying to show us that yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to heal you of the things that are keeping you outside of the community of the church, out of, outside of the body of Christ. And as soon as you bring it to me, and again, you know. 
I think this was like masterfully put in play where it wasn't Jesus that went to her and, you know, reached out to her. It was, you know, the, the one who had the ailment and bringing it to Jesus and he was able to fix it. You know, just another shout out for the sacrament of confession, man. I, I, you know, another prefigure again, this is, I mentioned it before, you know, I've come to realize that everyone knows the movie, the notebook. I've come to realize that the Bible is basically, you know, the notebook long game, you know what I'm saying? Over thousands of years, you know, of, of God just documenting and illustrating, man, this is how much I love you. This is the long game. I'm still around. I've been around from the beginning all the way to the end. Hey, you know, hey, bro. Just be honest, though, for our listeners, because we we know here what the notebook oh, sorry, is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so we we might be aging ourselves, but if you have never watched the Notebook, definite <laughs> must. It is a definite must. So all, all of what Brother Carla will be making. Who's, who's the actors in it? I don't even know their name. It's uh, the it was that blonde guy, Ryan Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Gosling. He was young. Young Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, bro, we would come on. I think we did. We watch that together at a. a No, man, it wasn't with you. (laughs) Probably we went on a date, bro. I forgot, bro. Uh, No. (laughs) Anyways, you took me to watch the Notebook, man, bro. No, not at the movie theaters. Come on, man. We wasn't doing it like that. But you know, know, we always get the DVD, the blockbuster, and we've had many tack functions where we've, you know, we all picked a movie that we all enjoyed. Man, we all get together, get a comedy action, (laughs) and a rom rom com. Those are the days. I I just hope that our kids have an opportunity to have, you know, just you know, nice, you know, clean fun like that with their friends. Yeah, you know, I just. Bring to the, connect with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bring the Rice Krispie treats, you know, everyone yeah. pot, potluck, bro. So, yeah, my bad. Yeah. They don't want to mess up your flow there, man. So. No, no, no. That's <laughs> I, I. But you know, it's just it always amazes me when I catch prefigurement things like that. You know, prefigurement meaning it's basically setting up something that's going to be revealed, you know, in the future by Jesus, which she already revealed. But you know, in in terms of you know scripture, like these cats at this point in time did not know what was about to happen. And here he is telling us like, yeah, I'm going to make something that, you know, gets you clean and put you back into the community, you know, stay tuned, you know? Yeah. And, and now we know, you know, when he instituted the sacrament of confession, there you go. That's what he was doing, you know? And even today, like, you know, brother Jeremy mentioned in the past, the way that, you know, Catholic churches are structured, is so that, you know, the confessional is technically outside of the, the, the church, you know, and as soon as you you come out, then you're back into the community. You know, it's just, you know, little details like that just make me go, man, this architect, this architect knew that I like to have doors on my bathroom so that when I'm sitting down, I can close the door. This architect knew how I like the structure. I mean, this perfect, you know, that, that stuff mm-hmm. just always amazes me, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I, that that's all I have to say about this gospel. Sorry, that's the one. <laughs> nah, that, you that good. Really so. You good, bro. And and as I like as you're saying, bro, like another last piece that I just wanted to to point out because like you can look at all different perspectives. And I was thinking about how you know the the official from the synagogue they you know this the line goes, your daughter has died. 
why trouble the teacher any longer? And Brother Jay talked about how there was hopelessness there. And maybe you are in a situation where you feel hopeless or maybe there's people around you that have that kind of hopeless attitude, who have that hopeless mindset, because I see it and hear it all the time through social media, you know, post videos. I see the hopelessness and maybe you're around that and you're still trying to save yourself. You're still trying to save your family or those you love. So I think there's another, again, another aspect or a layer of perspective that you can take, you know, in this, from this reading, are you someone who's like, yo, your daughter died. Why are you going to bother Jesus anymore? Like, and, and that for me is like, come on, Jesus will never say, I'm sorry. I'm closed. Come back tomorrow. Right? Jesus ain't saying, oh, I'm Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday. You know, like Jesus is always going to be available to us. Okay. <laughs> Technically not on Good Friday, but he is available even when other people may tell you he's not. And I think that's really another layer and perspective that I was taking from this reading is that how many people are going to tell you that God's not real, that Jesus was, you know, just a prophet or he was just human. And now people are going to like, man, he's the, you know, white man. How do you know he's white? Like, I mean, again, you're going to get into all these different um, debates or people might just, again, have these these perspectives or attitudes towards the faith and just gonna you know go down a couple lines and what does jesus say to the official of to you know to the synagogue official do not be afraid just have faith and maybe that's what you needed to hear from that gospel do not be afraid just have faith Woo. It's so good to be back with y'all. And if you're still rocking with us, we appreciate you. We know this podcast is extended version. Brother Jeremy is not recording in a driveway, in a van, in Vallejo <laughs> right now. If y'all would only have known some of the, the sacrifices that our, our brother Jay made to make this happen. So, yeah, y'all. So a couple takeaways, couple takeaways, final thoughts um, as we get ready to close out this podcast let's go ahead and shoot over to brother jay final thoughts and some takeaways for our listeners um one of the things that that matt mark's gospel is is doing um is answering the question you know who who is jesus you know and uh i mentioned last week's gospel about how the disciples were asking who is this that even the wind and the sea obey, you know, and the wind and the sea uh, were, were symbols of the cosmic forces of the universe, you know, because, it, you know, it was, you know, in the creation, it was God's spirit that hovered over the waters and the waters is meant to be a symbol of chaos and, you know, a storm. There's not, there's little else that says chaos, like a, like a storm. Right. Um, uh, but you know, with just a command, he was able to calm the storm, uh, and and so you know, with the there's a sense in which they're answering their own question. You know, who who is this that even the wind and the sea obey? It's someone that the wind and the sea obeys, <laughs> right? Um, and 
God is sort of sharing himself with us, you know, that he has this power and then he's sharing a little more with us uh, in this, in this gospel reading, but you know, all the readings say this, you know, um, uh, that yes, there, there is, uh, you know, because of the, because of sin and the sin of our first parents and how uh, our inability to save ourselves, you know, um, there is suffering and there is death, but God has power even over death, you know, and he shows that principally in the resurrection of Christ, you know, and he shows that here, he raises a girl from the dead, you know, he, he heals a, a woman that no one else has been able to heal. Jesus has the power, you know, he uh, can do all these things, you know, and, uh, and not just that he's a, a um, not that he uh, just makes himself available. He'll also never say, I can't do that. I, that's not within my power. Everything is within his power. And, um, you know, he, he has the power to destroy, and, but that's not something that he wills to do. He wills to give us life, you know, and, um, and, and it is, and this this goes in some of the highest levels of uh, academia and philosophy. You know, there, there's uh, the nihilistic philosophies. Nihilistic means um, the word nihil in Latin means nothing. So uh, when uh, there's a number of philosophies out there that are nihilistic, meaning they um, uh, they say that everything doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just all random. Uh, uh, chance and um, just things happening, but there's no no real meaning or rhyme to it, um, and that we live to die ultimately. Um, but God, through these readings, is saying the exact opposite. He again, and I come back to what I said at the beginning. God uh, sent Jesus to give us life. God created us so that we can have life. He had that in mind when he created us uh, and that, and not just to survive, but to really live in full, to have life in fullness. And, uh, and Jesus is showing us exactly that, you know, that God wants us to have this life and that he has the power to give it to us. But um, our part is to have this faith in Christ to know that he does have the power to give it to us. And that we have to, you know, um, like the woman, like Jairus, to reach out to Jesus and ask for it, you know, to, um, uh, because he's where, he's there waiting to give it to us, you know, and it's uh, while we implicitly rejected it in sin, um, he's waiting for us to just ask for it in grace, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's, that would be my my takeaway. Thank you, thank you, brother C. Low. I think the the takeaway that you know I'd I'd hope, um, you know to to try to sum you know, this, this week's readings 
into a brief statement, which kind of leans heavily on the first reading, is just a concept that everything that God created was meant for good. You know, um, often I hear a lot of, you know, God-fearing people, you know, in, in the circles that, that I listen to, you know, often talk about pure evil, you know, and often they refer to, to people. Well, not often, but in, 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 in a lot more situations that I think um, don't necessarily warrant that description, they describe people as being pure evil. And, you know, that, that makes me cringe a little bit because, it, you know, going back to, to something I mentioned before, you know, one truth about each and every single one of us is that we were all born cute little babies. You know, there's not one among us, you know, even, even at the moment of your birth, if you were abandoned, you know, like no one could look upon you and say, you know, what a... What a cute little baby, such an innocent baby, you know, who's put out into the world. And just a reminder that, you know, all of humanity, by virtue of their human dignity, were created to be good. Now, where the path takes them, where they start making different decisions, how the environment affects their decision-making, man, that's that's a whole nother complicated you know, aspect that, you know, unfortunately we, we can't seem to tackle as a society to try to set up young people for success. You know, that's, that's a whole nother, you know, topic. That's a whole nother show, a whole nother podcast on its own. But I think to start, we need to realize and see that God intended each of our creations meaning each and every one of us to be good and to have a part to play in salvation history. I mean, I think this is, you know, this is an ongoing theme that, that, that always stays close to my heart. You know, we all have a part in this plan. We will, we were all created in his image to be good. And although we don't all behave that way, we all deserve the respect that human dignity deserves. And, you know, so if I, if I was to sum up today, it's like, see the good in your brother and sister. Recognize that their actions may not be living up to their potential, but start by seeing the good in your brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. And and that was actually one of my, my takeaways. I'm going to keep it real simple for our, our listeners. So we think about this idea that God is good all the time. And we shared with you in depth today on this podcast on how God truly is good in all the different readings. And so just a couple things, just like Brother Carlo, number one, my invitation to you all is see the good in others. See the good in others. Challenge yourself. Discipline yourself to see the good in others. And I'm not talking about about the people who are just doing good in the world. 
meaning see the good in those who don't always seem to do good. See the good into those who don't always believe or see the way see things the way you see things. Right. See the good in people. Number two, see the good in yourself. Take time in your reflection in your life because it's so easy for us to say the things that we would like to do better for ourselves. It's easy to point out all the flaws that we see in ourselves. But number two, see the good in yourself. And then lastly, see the good in some of the hardest situations either in your life or to those around you. See the good in all of the most difficult times that you've experienced in your life. So reflect back to your life. What was the good that maybe has now come out of that hard and difficult situation? Or see the good in others around you in their hardship and their situation. And that's my invitation to y'all. That's my takeaway. That's my call to action for y'all today is see the good in others. And again, those who you may struggle with, right? Someone that maybe you don't understand completely. Like don't just pick easy people like your spouse or your kids or whoever, like see the good in others, see the good in yourself, and then see the good in the difficult times that either you've experienced or difficult times of people around you, maybe friends or family members, and see the good in their challenging or difficult times. And when you start having that discipline, then the words, God is good all the time, will have so much more meaning And you'll be able to say with so much more conviction because you're able to see the good in all situations, in all people, in all things, because God is present. So, family, we want to thank you again for just spending time with us on this, uh, you know, makeup podcast. So, you know, we put it on extra thick with the macaron sandwich and all the goodness that we put together for y'all. Layers on layers on layers on layers. Again, please use the timestamps, spend time with the timestamps. And even if you are listening to this after Sunday Mask, it's all good. All of the stuff that here is universal is catholic it's timeless so even if you want to just look at a reading and you know spend time with it that way I've, I've encouraged some of our youth and young adults in our old ministry to look at some of our podcasts look at the readings maybe just pick one reading and see you know let them reflect on it and then see what our take on it is so this isn't like hey if we missed that sunday then don't listen to it it's hey spend time with us see how we breakdown readings on all different levels and all perspectives so thank you again for listening to the podcast downloading the podcast sharing the podcast and again continue to pray for us because we will always be praying for you amen amen bye-bye hey let's do it man old school man god is good all the time and all the time god God is good oh yeah all right family god bless y'all peace